check, make a little money, pay some this bills. This week on the Pete the Planner Show, we answer your money questions. Here's how the show works. You email us, askpete at petetheplanner.com. That's askpete at petetheplanner.com. And if you've got something that is so phenomenal of a question that it becomes three segments of a show, well, you'll be just like the emailer this week whose amazing email and perspective have become three segments of our show. And by our, I mean not just you, the listener, but Damian Dunn, Vice President of Advice at Your Money Line and Hey Money joins us as always. Hello, Dame. Hey, Pete. And Dame, and, and I really did bury the lead here. Yeah, we're going to answer some financial questions for the first three segments of the show. But after that, and you can only say this once. Well, actually, you can say it a lot. You just can't reverse it. I've got the greatest segment in the history of this tw- 12 years of this show coming up in the fourth segment. And you're thinking, no, nah, he just wants us to hang on and listen. Nah, I, I just want you to listen because this is an amazing story that I have to tell you. So much so, Dame, that we're not doing biggest waste of the money, biggest waste of money of the week this week. Because this story is so good, it deserves its own segment. So how here's, about how, that? here's how this is going to work, folks. Either Pete's right, which I hope he is, and this is going to be a phenomenal segment, or you're going to want to stick around and watch the awkwardness ensue. Oh, there will be awkwardness. You bet your bald head. Uh, Betty on Facebook Live says right now, because you can always we'll catch the show live as we record it Fridays at noon Eastern on Facebook, on the Pete the Planner Facebook page. Betty says, no bummers this week, right? You know what, Betty? No bummers this week. The last three weeks of the show have been macabre, to say the least. And this week, oh, boy, have the tides turned. So uh, the first, let's get to this question before there's any more further ado. And then we will get to the greatest segment in the history of the show. And you're thinking, why don't you just start with that? Because once I unleash this on you, there's nowhere to go except to just end the show. So that's why it's going to be the fourth segment this week. Have I built it up enough, Damien? Yes. All right, here we go. Uh, Good day, done and done. No relation. I write to you today with an unusual conundrum. I thought of the below while listening to your podcast, episode 376, while on a bike ride break from my work from home life that has become the new normal in 2020. I love well-written emails. I really do. It gets better. Oh, this gets amazing. So by, by the way, if you're just joining us, if you're just tuning in late, where were you? This is going. This email is three segments of the show. It's going to take me the first segment to read it, but it's well worth your time, I promise. On today's podcast, which was episode 376, you basically said that a landscape artist, whatever that is, would be insane to aggressively pay off his mortgage over the next 18 months, particularly during a pandemic. Well, what if you already had the cash on hand to do so? What then, good sirs? Here's my background. My lovely wife and I have owned our current home for a little over 11 years. We bought our house the same year I graduated college. I was on the seven-year plan. And the same year we were married in 2009. At that time, even after all the insanity, which brought us into the Great Recession, we were able to buy a home with less than 10% down, which would take more than half our take-home pay. So, time out. Here's the thing, Dame. Uh... Having a mortgage that's taking half their income, that's a risky maneuver coming out of a great recession or, or right now or even in good times. So, so far, what we know is they were able to successfully purchase a home, but the, the, the economics of it weren't great. And a bank still said it was a good risk. Boy, isn't that always the case? We qualified for the house on my soon-to-be wife's income alone as I had just graduated from school. And although I had worked more or less throughout school, my income was only $20,000 a year. 
at the time. I feel like the reading of this is really good. That's average. (laughs) At the time, we went after a 30-year mortgage, primarily due to the ability to purchase a home we loved in a location we loved and a monthly payment we could barely afford. Fast forward a decade and we now, still in the same house, have two kids, ages six and nine, and have refinanced into a 15-year mortgage. The mortgage, which even after steady year after year increases in pay, consumes roughly 30% of our take-home income. Another time out, Dame, you and I love when a 15-year mortgage consumes around 30% of a person's take-home income. Works out so very well. Hey, I was going to send you a snooty slack last night, you and the rest of the team. I found this article on CNBC.com from a financial expert who said that your mortgage payment should be, listen to this, it was the 30, 30, and 3 rule. It was, it should be 30% of your gross income, which makes no sense. You should have a 30% down payment. Wouldn't that be nice? And the value of your home should be no more than three times your annual income. The first two are so stupid, I didn't even take the time to evaluate whether the third piece of advice made any sense. It it, it arguably could, but the first two make absolutely no sense. It's completely uh, bad advice on the first point, 30% of your gross income, because gross and net can be so wildly different for people. The second piece of advice, 30% down payment is wildly unrealistic. And, and widens the wealth gap in our country. And so I didn't even bother to evaluate the third one. That was well a done. long time out. Go ahead. Well done. Uh, you, oh. but, but you're going to have to speed this up. Wait. The balance on our mortgage is now $179,000 with an approximate home value of $600,000. Wow. During these last 10 years, we have diligently saved as much as we could in tax advantage vehicles, maxing out our 401k, 403b, Roth IRA, HSA, and contributing an additional 350 to 500,000, oh, $350 to $500 a month in our kids' 529 plans. After taking advantage of these savings vehicles, we saved additionally into taxable brokerage accounts and we got to juice up our power percentage. So Dame, the picture so far is made up understandable but risky housing decision 10 years ago. They delivered on their promises. They're in an amazing financial situation. At this point, this guy is 38, his wife's 36, and have saved roughly $650,000 in retirement accounts, $55,000 in their health savings account, $60,000 in the 529 plans. And on top of that, they have little over $200,000 in savings and taxable brokerage accounts, including a $25,000 emergency fund. They're saving on a monthly basis over $8,000 on a gross income of $180,000. They're paying the minimum on their mortgage and they have no other debt. So, Dame, this is the perfect financial situation. So here's the meat of the question. How much time do we have left in this segment? Oh, I got two minutes to do this. Here's the meat of the question. I have never, says the emailer, wanted to pay off my 3.125% 15-year mortgage faster than 15 years. It's just never been a priority. I've always felt that additional money is better served living and growing inside a low-cost index fund. But here's the rub. I have lost short, midterm faith in the markets. I feel like the growth of the market this year is a sugar rush-fueled growth due to massive stimulus spending from the government coupled with ultra-low interest rates, making bond yields almost worthless 
Additionally, I think the markets have underappreciated the long-term negative impact of the global pandemic. I feel like there will be a mean revision in the next few years, if not a significant correction. If you look at the small cap versus mid versus large cap performance this year, you will see a significant percentage of the total market growth is from FANG stocks. That's Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google. How long will that extreme unbalanced growth continue? To quote John Maynard Keynes, the market can remain ir irrational longer than you can remain solvent. I get it. Bottom line is, I feel like the market will not return an annualized return of 3.125% or better in the next three to five years. And as such, I would be better off selling $176,000 of my $200,000 taxable brokerage account and pay off my mortgage in full and be done with it. Added benefit is that now we're back to all-time highs in the market. Additionally, I feel pretty strange holding any bond allocation yielding 2% when I have a mortgage, which I feel is sort of like a negative bond with a 3.125% rate. If we paid off the house, my monthly burn rate would reduce by 30%, which would allow us to boost our monthly transfer to our taxable brokerage to $2,800 from $1,000 and fairly rapidly replenish our investments. My wife has a relatively pandemic-proof career as a nurse at a local hospital, but currently only works one to two days a week. My career is stable, but in an industry in which is known for high stress and periodic mass layoffs. On the one hand, having the 200000 in a brokerage account would allow for many months of expenses if I lost my, lost my job. On the other hand, if we paid off the mortgage, we could easily live off my wife's income alone if we were to lose my job. What to do? Love the show. Oh, we've just gone over on time. So, Dane, we're going to take a break. Coming up after the break. More of the Pete the Planner Show, next. Back on the Pete the Planner Show. Yeah, you got the extended first segment. That's right, I missed the post. Um, okay, so if you're just joining us, you've missed a lot. We just had an epic email from a guy who made a typical housing decision right out of college, um, was a little aggressive with it, uh, was a little more than they could afford, but he and his wife with diligence and forethought were be able to take advantage of, you know, life and their careers and save and save and save and do a really good job. And so they're in a great financial position. Now he has lost complete faith in the, the markets, the stock markets, and wants to, uh, in that case, make a move, pay off the mortgage. So Dame, that's what we're talking about now. Is there any more other additional context I need to add uh, to those just joining us? Um, you said he's made a lot of good decisions. And by a lot of good decisions, you mean they are incredibly diligent savers. And so it's not to, like they are trying to figure out where the money's going to come from for retirement. I think that is pretty well squared away. And I think they have every intention of continuing to do that despite the question that they're asking. Did you see the same or assume the same, Pete? I did. So it was $179,000 still in tax, or pardon me. <laughs> I was I just uh, tipped my hand there. Uh, $179,000 in mortgage debt. And they want to know if they should liquidate their non-qualified savings to just pay it off uh, because they just don't have faith in what the market's going to do. Typically, if you've got a really low interest rate on a mortgage, then you should rather aggressively invest any extra money because you try to offset what you think your rate of return is going to be on your investments versus the low interest rate. For instance, Dame, we're looking at 
I don't know, what was it? 2.3% interest or something like that on the mortgage. And if I can get 8% rate of return on my investments, 2.3 versus eight, you want to go with the eight. That's sort of a gross way to do it, but that's a that's a, an oversimplification, but that's the way you should look at those situations. What this person is saying is, I don't think we're going to get 8% average rate of return over the next three to five years. In fact, I would rather buy in to a falling market, if not a, a depressed stock market. So Dame, with that at hand, a person with $650,000 in retirement assets, a good start in college funding, $200,000 in brokerage, uh, meaning they can do whatever they want with that money, and people who save aggressively on a monthly basis, what say you? We talked a little bit during the break, and I said I was just going to argue opposite of whatever you said. So I appreciate you putting me out there first to, to give my opinion. That's a professional move there, Pete. Nice job. Um, can, we, uh, can I stop you? Sure. You and I like to meet with the securities commissioner of the state of Indiana from time to time and make sure that we do not give securities advice. Uh, so what's interesting is in answering this question, at no point in time will we say absolutely do it because we would be telling someone to sell securities, thus giving investment advice, violating a couple laws. So with that in mind, Dame, go ahead and tell me what you think. There's a really compelling argument to sell the, sell, sell the retail <laughs> fund and take the cash and pay off the mortgage. There would be some tax consequences to go along with that. So if there's 200 grand in the retail account, they sell it off, you've got to assume there's some capital gains in there they're going to have to be accounted for, which I'm pretty sure they could set the money aside between now and, and tax time next year if they don't have that difference already baked into the account. And so let's just say they walk away tax neutral-ish here. Um, and then they free up 30% of their income at home. They, I mean, yeah. they could double down on 529s. They could buy into other retail brokerages. They could buy rental. They could do whatever they want. They could go on a fantastic vacation while the world falls apart. I have no idea what, what they would want to do with all that extra cash. Here's the thing, as you and I have discussed on who knows how many occasions, everything else in this email, the, the, the body of what they've accomplished tells me that it's going to be okay. They're going to do well. Yeah, exactly. You and I like to to read through uh, between the lines, I should say, and say, look, this person has good judgment. No, no matter what they decide, it's not like they're going to just lose their sensibility and make a, a really bad decision. With like you, I I think there's some major issues with liquidating their investments to pay off their mortgage. Here they are, in no particular order. Number one, the tax issues, right? Um, you would want to know to the dollar what your tax obligations are by talking to a CPA prior to doing this. Don't guess. Number two, and I'm not that worried about this emailer in this regard, but um, I do worry about sometimes when people free up a tremendous amount of cash flow that sometimes it affects behavior and they their abundance versus scarcity mentality gets thrown out of whack and it could lead to lifestyle creep. So if they did nothing, if they just kept things as is, they're not going to experience any lifestyle creep. They've, they've already determined that. But if they free up what will it be equivalent to 30% of their income in order to uh, 
do whatever they want with it. That's really hard not to go to the grocery store one day and say, you know what, we're going to buy the name brand green beans as opposed to the store brand green beans. It's, it's really tough to do that no matter how deep seated your frugality is. But Dame, there's something, there, there's something very real about this emailer's insistence and concern about the market as it relates to why the market is still doing fine. I buy their explanation wholeheartedly. The idea that the the market is doing fine because of manipulated interest rates and because the Fed is pumping money indirectly into the financial markets to prop it up, I think at some point there has to be a reckoning there and it's not out of the realm of possibility to say, I don't think the next three to five years are going to return much. I guess my question to you, since you're the real expert here is just because you have a sour three to five year outlook, should that impact what you're doing altogether? Because, you know, this person's time frame, their time horizon is not three to five years. They just happen to be cherry picking the next three to five years is something that bothers them. If they were shutting everything down, I would have a bigger concern with this, but they're not. They're still saving, uh, they said, $8,000 a month in various vehicles uh, yep. over you know 401ks and 403bs and HSAs and 529s. I don't think they're changing that. If they were to say, you know what, I'm out and we're moving everything to cash, that might be a, a red flag for me to say, okay, let's take a bigger picture of everything that's going on here and what your time horizon and what your risk tolerance truly is because that leads into a bigger conversation of, are you currently positioned the way you should be? Because if you're going to lose sleep over the next three to five years, that's indicative of a poor investment philosophy that, that needs to have some, some consideration thrown at it. However, in this case, they're typically, or they're, they're actually just looking at using their assets in a proactive way. If, if, uh, if things do get rocky and the markets go down, and let's say, heaven forbid, one of them loses a job or one of them um, gets injured and can't work anymore, and they don't have uh, the right insurance to, to help them with that, the house is taken care of. And they don't have to have that concern over their their heads or their family or uh, any, any kind of stability issues there. So, if but, you, hey, you know, a- let's do this. Let's pick that up after the break because I have to make back time for the first segment that I blew past. So coming up after the break, we will pick up on that thought right here on the Pete the Planner Show. I'm that fella. Back on the Pete the Planner Show, you are officially one segment away from the greatest segment in the history of this show. How do I know this? Because I've been doing math all week long on this topic. If you're just joining us here on the show, we're in the midst of a marathon email from a longtime listener who uh, is presented quite the scenario for us. They are very secure financially. They're in their mid-30s. They've got $650,000 saved for long-term retirement. They save a great deal of their take-home pay now. They save $8,000 a month. The $180,000 they earn a year from a gross perspective, pre-tax. And they simply want to know if the $200,000 that they have set aside in savings, could they theoretically sell those investments and then pay off a mortgage 
which has a really low interest rate because this person feels the market is heading in a really bad direction because of the Fed's monetary policy. Dame, did I miss anything? Nope. I think you did a very nice job summarizing. Okay. So as we stated uh, in the earlier segment, we can't tell this person, yeah, go ahead and do it because we're telling them to sell securities. We're giving investment advice in that regard. And we just don't give securities advice. I will say this though, we are never in an all or nothing game. I think a lot of times we think our financial decisions are binary that way. Like we, we think that, um, it's all or nothing. Well, if I went out of the market, I'm all the way out of the market. Dame, as you said, this person still has $650,000 in the market and is putting $8,000 a month in the market. So to pull back some isn't, it is reactionary, but it's not necessarily extreme, right? Yeah, they haven't abandoned their their long-term faith by their own admission, which I think is key here. And here's the other thing. It's not like they're just burning this cash uh, in a, a barrel in the backyard to stay warm. They're they're putting it into a house that's going to free up cash flow and potentially that house could be sold as an asset down in the future. I mean, they, I'm making a, a big assumption here, but I'm betting there's a nice bit of appreciation that they've got in that house since they bought it 11 years ago to be able to buy a house uh, on one person's income relatively quickly out of uh, college. It probably wasn't Five hundred thousand dollars. If the house, if the house is now worth six hundred thousand dollars, I think they've they've probably three fifty, three seventy five, something like that. They've probably done really well on the house, and if they choose to sell it, they're going to be in pretty good shape long term. So I, I have very little concern about right, I will, this person's plan. I will say this: they will completely replenish in terms of deposits that hundred and seventy nine thousand dollars in five years and three months which seems somewhat reasonable, especially if this person's outlook is three to five years. So Dame, let's say this person doesn't do that. They, they don't liquidate their investments to pay off the mortgage. Instead, they just pay off their mortgage over time. How many years did they say were in there into it? It would still take some time. Yeah, I can't remember when they said they refinanced into the 15, but they've, they, I'm sure they've still got. And would it surprise you if they're paying extra on? No, because he said he didn't think he should ever pay off his 15-year mortgage faster than 15 years. So yeah. you know, they're right on schedule. So I guess the question is, it, let's say the market doesn't do well and it only averages 3 to 5, 3% over the next five years. How is the person really hurt by just staying as they are? I mean, I feel like this is an element of trying to outsmart the market because they're not really necessarily out. It's like now at this point, we're trying to measure risks. It's like, what is the riskier move? Is it to maintain your investment? If, if that person's outlook is that it's going to be slight negative, but then average 3%, averaging 3% is still 3%. It's, this person did not say they were averaging a 15% decline. If, if that's their perspective, it's a much easier decision, but uh, man, I, I'm really on the fence. And I, I really didn't go into this being on the fence because I thought their 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 breakdown was rather prudent. And I thought, yeah, I could I could see that being a, a pretty good deal. But I'm back on the fence, which is not helpful for anybody. If they say that we're going to average three and a half to five percent or whatever it was, 
you and I both know, Pete, that it's not going to be a strictly three and a half to five percent ride over the next three years. There's going to be some big volatility in between those two. And maybe he doesn't want to think about stomaching that big drop that I think would potentially be a reasonable expectation to to have a, a big pullback in, in one of these years. I, we're kind of due for it. And as he noted, it seems like there's been some artificial um, juice dumped into the market to get some of, some of the returns that we're seeing right now. So I think it'd be reasonable to see that go down. And if his money, if he feels that his money or their money, I should say, is better used paying off the mortgage and freeing up that cash flow. There's a peace of mind that they're buying there, not just leaving it in the in the market. So if if they would sleep better knowing that they get that uh, that mortgage and burn that in the barrel in the backyard, and, and they probably don't burn anything in barrels. That's a really rural Jeez, thing to do. You I just apologize. showed your hand. Yeah, sorry yeah. about that. Uh, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. You know, there's a phrase I've been using at our executive meetings a lot recently that you and I were actually joking about right before we went to air. And, and, and it's it's a, a figurative phrase, but I do mean it literally. And it's the idea of losing sleep at night. I show my anxiety in all aspects of my life when my head hits my pillow. And if I can't sleep, that is real for me. And if that is real for this emailer, Dame, I think you're right. Let's do this with a couple of minutes we have left before we get to the greatest segment in the history of our show. Um, let's handicap the chances of one of three things. The market gets crushed in the next five years. The market stays steady or is flat, which would also be a 3% average rate of return. Or the market goes gangbusters and, and skyrockets in the next three to five years. So Dame, you've got 100% to work with. And uh, by the way, everyone, this is not investment advice. It's just two bald fellows on the internet talking, talking funds. I mean, this is basically like FanDuel at this point. So Dame, you get 100%. Where are you putting the percentages between massive crash, dystopian market in the next five years, flat market when it's all said and done, or booming, booming market? Where are you at? Uh, booming market for the next three to five years, I will put at... Ooh. 10 to 20%. Okay. Okay. Neutral ish market. I will give 70%. Okay. Maybe a little less. And then the remainder too, because I, I hedged on that first one and the remainder to the, the down. I'm not too far off, bro. Bro. 30% boom up 50% flat. 20% dystopian uh, hellscape. <laughs> I thought we said we weren't going to be... I guess we're not negative, Nancy. We're not. We're not I mean, worried. a 20% chance. Yeah. Man, okay, so we have, uh, we have a minute left, Dame, uh, before the greatest segment in the history of our show. What, what say you? So if it helps you sleep at night, brother, do it. I don't think it's a horrible idea. I don't 100% fully endorse it. I don't think it's a horrible idea. And I think when it's all said and done, you're going to be fine no matter what. Um, I think if you said, should I take out a home equity line and dump all of my home equity deep into the market? That's a different story. And that would be a bad idea. But what you're talking about is almost six, one half dozen, the other Dame, your final, your final ruling. 
this is midterm money that we're talking about in this yep. retail. So if this is the best use of that midterm money, knowing that he can replenish it over the next five years when things could be a little sideways, yeah, I, I think that's a reasonable plan. If you choose to get uh, the cold feet and just stay in the markets, I think you'll be fine there too. Excellent. All right, Dame. We, you know, we're going to take a break. We got to, you know, collect ourselves. But when we come back, the next thing people are going to hear here on this radio show, this very radio show, is the greatest segment in the history of the show. And if it's not, it will be, uh, I didn't tell you this, Dame, potentially the reason we're kicked off the air for good. <laughs> I didn't tell you that part. Great. I, I really didn't tell you that part, but I don't think we need to overreact. I think we just need to sit back and enjoy the math I've done all week. That's next right here on the Pete the Planner Show, possibly the last episode. This week, there is no biggest waste of money of the week right here on the Pete the Planner Show. If you've listened to this show for the last however many years, I think it's 12-ish. Who keeps putting us on the air for 12 years? I don't want to talk, you know, you know, trash about the leadership and management, but what a terrible choice at these stations. How are we not on overnights? I don't even know. I don't even had one broadcasting lesson, and this has lasted 12 years. Can you imagine if we were good at this? Wow. All right, Dame, let's throw it all away. So I have a story for you, my good friend. <clears throat> I have another good friend who likes horse racing. And as you, you noticed, this past weekend was the... 9,000th running of the Kentucky Derby. I don't get caught up in numbers. And there was something unique about uh, one horse in this year's race, the horse being Authentic, who was uh, the third favorite. Is that how you say? Or third in terms of odds of winning? Sure. I, don't, I don't, I'm not a better. I'm not a gambler, not a wager. And so this person um, was able to, through like a crowdfunding, crowdsourcing site, purchase a share of authentic. In fact, this person person purchased two shares of authentic. 4500 people purchased shares of authentic and oddly enough this person was two people because there were 4500 shares exchanged and this person bought two, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Now what people were buying though was a share of one third of the horse. Okay? okay. So a share there are three owners a dude, a dude, and 4,500 people. Okay. Are you with me? Yeah. And so some of what I'm about to tell you is hearsay, but the hearsay doesn't matter. It's the real numbers that matter. So apparently there was originally an owner who was a representative of this 4,500 people, but decided to do this whole thing. And as part of that 4,500 thing, the deal was if the horse won, then that 4,500 people actually would not get their portion of the $1.86 million pot, which would be $600,000 million, ah, $600, spread amongst 4,500 people. Are you with me so far? Okay. Okay, so again, these people paid $206 per share for a horse of which, if the horse won the big thing, they get nothing of the prize money, which the 4,500 people would have to split $600,000. So are you with me? Yes. There is a reason why this still made sense. And it's not so you could just run around the neighborhood and said, my horse won the Kentucky Derby. Oh, your favorite horse? No, the horse I own. There's a reason 
And the reason, stud fees. Damien, stud fees in the horse racing community are everything. Mm -hmm. If your horse wins the Kentucky Derby, you can expect tens of millions of dollars of stud fees for the rest of that horse's life. Because, Dame, here's what happens. That horse wins the Derby. And then it doesn't even matter what the horse does again. Sure, go win the Preakness or Belmont or whatever. Who cares? Because that, that'll that open your price. But after that, that thing's going out the pasture. And by out the pasture, I mean the perfect retirement. Glue factory? No. Oh. It gets to stud. And there's certain things you can't say on the radio, but the horse basically gets to go be a professional breeder. Every time the horse breeds, Dame, every time the horse produces another horse with by the act of horse love, the people who own the horse receive $200,000. The horse can touch a mare down there four times per day. <laughs> what? Four times per day. In any single stud season which I'm always in stud season. <laughs> that was that was true. In a single stud season, a horse can stud out. They're called covers in the biz. How many covers you can do? I don't even want to think about that. Because it's like they're under covers. They're a horse. I mean, who has horse sheets? Uh, you know, a thoroughbred in the streets, a horse in the sheets sort of thing. <laughs> they can do 200 in a season in the Northern Hemisphere. And I'm not even talking about the body. I'm talking about the earth. And then they can go into the Southern Hemisphere and breed for an entire other season within the year. Okay. I'm here to tell you every time Authentic, the winner of the Kentucky Derby, does a cover, my friend gets $29.60. Every time a horse that he's not really connected to other than he spent $412 on partial ownership of this horse. Every time that horse enjoys its retirement by trying to create other small horses, he gets $29.60. Regardless of the outcome of the cover? So to speak. It depends on whether or not a horse is born. So there's payment for the service. And then for the delivery of the product, the rest is paid. Okay? Now, here's the thing. My friend can expect to receive this year with successful horse studying $6,000 this year. Next year, probably the same. I, I, look, I, I'll tell you, I am not a, I'm not an equine vet. Although I did tell you a story about my uncle who's an equine vet. Oh, we should have had him on the show. <laughs> we should have had my uncle on the show. He could walk us through this. Did I ever tell you that story about when I, when I went around with my, my uncle who's an equine vet? No. I've told you this story. No. So he's an equine vet in Kentucky. And uh, I went out on a call with him once. And there's a guy who had a sick horse. And, and so I'm there with the horse. And, and the farmer's like, would you put my horse down? And I turned to my my vet uncle and I and I sort of under my breath and I was like, I don't know what insulting the horse is going to do for this situation. <laughs> and, the, and my uncle got really mad at me. 
$29.60 every time this horse, which happens four times a day, tries to make another horse. Is that not the greatest thing in the history of the world? That's an amazing investment. It is. I think we're losing viewers and listeners right now. Maybe, but... I mean, it's weird. It's like, we, this can be gross if you want it to be gross. I, I mean, and it kind of is biological, certainly. But it is fascinating that this world exists, that this horse, because it won a race, is now worth tens of millions of dollars because it will theoretically create other champion horses. I mean, do they have to help pay for the upkeep of the horse now? No, no. Or- it's just they're paying for the... Whatever. Well, they're not paying for nothing. They're just getting checks. How great is that? That's amazing. So that's this week's best use of money of the week. Dame, we we tried to have an uplifting show this week. We had a really good email that stretched three segments. I just told what I view to be the most fascinating personal finance story I've ever heard. A person, a friend of mine, good friend, in the course of of a pandemic, decided to buy shares of a horse to run the Kentucky Derby in a month that was never meant to be run on the off chance that that horse would come out victorious. He retired to a field, listen to Al Green, and make more horses. And every time that happens, my friend gets $29.60. And I don't know to what frequency he will get paid out. I don't know if every time he gets it, he gets a wry smile or feels a little bit creepy. But I know that this is the greatest country on earth. And this is proof. I feel like I've lost my mind. Maybe. It's been a rough three weeks uh, prior to this week's show. So I thought I would treat you to some uplifting banter about horses and what horses do. Dan, that's all we have time for this week. I'd love to hear your thoughts. If you have horse breeding stories or don't send pics, ask Pete at PeteThePlanner.com. That's ask Pete at PeteThePlanner.com. We may even handle your personal finance, finance questions. Join us next week, Facebook Live, noon Eastern, and you can be part of the conversation like our friends Danza, Jameson, and Betty. That's all we have this week. I'm Pete The Planner, and this was the show.